0: Thanks for listening to our Faith Church Podcast. Let's listen to today's message. It It is my honor to be with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Steve and Pastor Darla. Yeah, I've been as... Uh... Pastor Steve mentioned, coming to Faith Church for over 25 years, and some of you, I remember back then when we all had uh, hair that was not, uh, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't have pepper in it. People asked me, what's that in your hair, and I, I told them it's Lint, and they, <laughs> <laughs> and others are meeting for the very first time, it's my honor. And so I was here part of the the, the uh, Make Us One conference with uh, Pastor Gary and Harriet Hammond and they did a marvelous job, as we indicated, and so thank you for the the warm welcome. I bring you greetings from New Jersey, and uh, my wife sends her regard and her love. I know she's been with me up here a number of times over the years, but she's visiting her parents down in South Carolina, and uh, next month we'll be celebrating 37 years of marriage, and so uh, really, uh, And by the way, it has no reflection on my age whatsoever. They, they run on different tracks. And so you may say, how does that happen? You know, that's just how it is in New Jersey. And so <laughs> uh, we got married when we were four years old, and so we're, we're, we're good to go. <laughs> well, I want to spend uh, the remainder of our time in the Word. And so would you bow your heart with me, please? Father, I ask that you just tamper with us, deal with us deep down in our hearts where change occurs. May this change be irreversible. I thank you that you would minister to us in such a rich way that we would find ourselves ministering to others the very things you've ministered to us. I ask you these things in the name of Jesus, my Lord. amen. Amen. My topic today is who eats at my table. So if you have your Bibles, join me in Galatians chapter 2. I'm also going to have those verses on the screen so that you can follow along in a very effortless way. But the theme of who eats at my table, it's really dealing with the topic of diversity. How do I connect with get along with and make space in my heart for someone who's totally different than me racially ethnically culturally how do I make room for them how do I include them in my social life and the Bible has a lot to say on this topic in fact the Bible uses a phrase that we refer to as just the other and the other as you can see from the screen it comes from the word hospitality, being hospitable, and the New Testament is written in Greek, Koine Greek, K-O-I-N-E, or classical Greek, and that word hospitality, it's made up of two Greek words, xenos and philios. Well, we get the word xenophilia. Xenos means stranger, the foreigner, the other. Philia is the word love so when we think about what do we do with people that are different than ourselves what do we do with the other the Bible charges us to love those who are the other and so in many of our our spaces of our lives we're gonna find people that we meet that are different than ourselves racially culturally ethnically what do we do with that well, we see it throughout Scripture from Romans 12, verse 8. We see that we are, we are called to be hospitable, to love the other, practice xenophilia. And so I want to spend our time now in Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 11 with me, please. As I mentioned, those verses are on the screen. When Cephas came to Antioch, and by the way, Cephas is Peter, the Apostle Peter. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? I want you to stop there and let's go to Antioch. And I want us to be mindful of something very, very real. I love the fact that the Bible never hides the weaknesses and the failures of God's leaders. Peter had a major problem his problem was prejudice which means prejudgment with emotions god never swept it under the rug he didn't cover it up he didn't deal with it in private he memorialized it by allowing it to be a part of sacred scripture that down through the years we read what that tells us is that god If he can deal with Peter, he can deal with you and he can deal with me in kind, loving ways, even on the most personal of topics of our hearts when it comes to people that are different than ourselves. Let's go to Antioch. Antioch was located 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where Peter's church was. He was one of the main leaders at the church at Jerusalem. That church was primarily monocultural, monoethnic, monoracial. Though there was some cultural nuances, but it wasn't diverse largely. But the city of Antioch was the third most influential city in the Roman Empire. There was Rome, followed by Alexandria followed by Antioch. Antioch was a bustling metropolis. People from all over the known world came there because it was a place of commerce. They did business there. And as a consequence, we learn from Acts chapter 11 that this this huge multiracial, multi-ethnic church was born in Antioch. That's the church in Antioch. Scholars say that at this juncture, The church was about 25,000 people. So this is a major, major church. And it was very diverse. In fact, when you think about the word Christian, follower of Jesus, that word Christian was first coined in Antioch. Because the people had nothing, they, they had no reference point of, what do we say, what kinds of people are these? They're different race, they're different culture, they're different ethnicity. And they're all worshiping the same God. And they, and they have the same worldview. And so they had to come up with a label, a name, to describe them. And so they said, these people, they're Christians. That's where that word first came. But I want you to see that everything was going well. Because you know, when you're at a table and you're eating... I mean, we, we, we laugh at the table. We joke when we're eating. We, we swap stories. Peter was the same. He's, he came to, to Antioch, and he's a visiting minister. He's going to be there on an extended trip. And the scripture says he's eating with the Gentiles. He's hobnobbing. He's swapping stories. There's laughter, and maybe some teared up at different moments. But you know when you tell stories at the dinner table? Someone may have said, Peter, tell, tell me, you walked with Jesus, tell me, tell me about when he fed the 5,000. Peter said, no, 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 it wasn't 5,000, it was 5,000 men, but it was 25,000 people when you add up women and children. And so Peter said, yeah, he, he made us go through the crowd to find who had food. We grabbed the lunch of a little boy. He had two sardines and five dinner rolls. And, and Jesus blessed it. He looked up to heaven to God and said, bless it. And then we, he broke it. And then next thing we know, 25,000 people are eating. Who knows? Peter may have rubbed his stomach and can still taste that little fish. One, somebody else may have said, Peter, uh, I heard that you tried to walk on water and and you're about to drown. Peter said, wait, wait, get it right, get it right, get it right. I was the only disciple that stepped out of the boat onto the Sea of Galilee. And yeah, I walked for a few feet and then I heard the howling of the wind and I saw the waves and I got scared and I started to sink and then Jesus put me up but you don't remember the rest of the story. How do you think I got back to the boat? <laughs> Me and Jesus, we walked back. And so you can, you can imagine those, those stories are taking place at the table. And then when some other Jewish believers came up from Jerusalem to Antioch, the scripture was very clear on this. Peter started to pull away from the Gentiles and no longer ate with them. And he started to eat exclusively with Jewish believers. I can imagine the mood changed. And someone may have said, Have you noticed? Have you noticed that Peter no longer eats with us? Have you noticed that he eats exclusively with people who look just like him? Talk just like him? Dress just like he does? He he eats with people that are in his, his social circle. Someone else may have said, have you noticed that the founding pastor, Barnabas, major player on our pastoral team he no longer eats with us Gentiles either how could Barnabas just influence not only by what Peter's done but he influenced other Jewish believers among us and all of them they stopped eating with us Some other Gentile may have said, Have have you noticed that Peter's social circle, it's closed to only those who look just like him? Do you realize that today some of the technology companies Google, Facebook, Huffington Post, Washington Post. They have an algorithm in their news feed based on how we have used historically their site, the articles that we've read and read more of. They actually, the algorithm limits the amount of articles, news articles that have a contrary opinion to what you hold. That means if you're someone that is a diehard Democrat, you'll have limited articles that sway towards Republican. Or if you're a diehard Republican, you'll have limited news articles that come your way that sway towards the being a, a diehard, you know, the opposite, which is, which, which, you know, with the opposite political view. And so, in other words, the algorithm, it puts you into a bubble so you get more of what you like and less of what you believe. And may I ask this question now, it's not what's in your filter bubble, let me get a bit more personal, who is in your social filter bubble? I wonder if I get really, really close to your social life, who you take with you to the diner, who comes over to your home, to whom you have phone calls with to whose social social media platforms that you connect with and engage, the books that you read, the sources of the articles that you read. I wonder if the other is in your social bubble or have you, like Peter, filtered them out. I want you to come and Sit at the table with me at Antioch. Because what you'll find is this. Much of cultural intelligence, it doesn't begin with what's up here. It begins with what's in here. When Peter pulled away from eating with the Gentiles, no longer having table fellowship with those who looked different than he looked, had different culture than he had, you know what the question was? That the Gentiles had to ask themselves around the table that Peter no longer occupied? How do you feel How do you feel that Peter no longer eats with us? I can imagine the Gentiles in their conversation with each other. What what have we done to Peter? Have we have we disrespected him? Have have we dishonored Peter? I hope I haven't dishonored him. Is what's wrong with me as a gentile? Is being a gentile something that the gospel can't even fix? That salvation can't even correct? do you feel that Peter no longer eats with us you know I don't know if I can bring my family members and friends to our church because the same experience that takes place in the world when Jews and Gentiles meet that we are looked upon as we will defile them if they enter into any type of social relationship with us I don't know if I can subject my family members and unsaved friends to experiencing my church. Now, how, do I, how do I confront Peter? Because certainly his is, it, it, it's it's hypocritical. And that was the language of the text. A hypocrite in the first century is someone who was an actor on the stage. And they spoke their lines from behind a mask. And the renowned Greek scholar, Dr. Kenneth Wiest, added, he said, it's not just speaking your lines from behind a mask that makes you a hypocrite. It's hiding your true feelings and letting people see good feelings, but they're not truthful feelings about who you are. How do you feel that Peter no longer eats with us? Someone needs to confront Peter. Because even our own pastor Barnabas, he's doing the same thing as Peter. Maybe we can go to Paul and ask Paul to confront Peter. Peter. But you know, the scripture says in Galatians 2, verse 14, Paul is speaking now to Peter and to other Jewish believers that had separated themselves from table fellowship with Gentiles. Paul says this to them and Peter. They were not following the truth of the good news. When I saw this, I spoke to Peter in front of everyone. I said, Peter, you are a Jew. But you don't live like one. You live like someone who is not a Jew. So why are you trying to force those who are not Jewish to live like Jews? You know what Paul was demonstrating here? Peter's sin of prejudice and prejudice there are different levels there are different stages of it in fact there are five levels of prejudice this was a level two prejudice which was a distancing of oneself socially separating oneself relationally it's called avoidance I love the fact that Paul he became an advocate for his congregation all of them Not just Jewish believers, but Gentiles. Paul had some idea already what was going on. And so he confronted Peter. And I I love the fact that he didn't do it in the back room private. Because Peter's infraction was public. Paul confronted him publicly. And Paul used an ethic of care. An ethic of care, it's a moral framework to convey care to another. And there are four stages or four components of an ethic of care. And when you add up each of those components, it equals care. Paul wasn't wasn't shooting from the hip. And so an ethic of care, the first component is that there's a caring about the other. Caring about is when you have it's in your crosshairs the need of the other. The value of the other. That there should be a responsibility that you have and carry towards those who are different than you. That's what caring about is. But then there's the caring for. Caring for is the actual practicing of care it's where Paul recognized that he had a moral responsibility not just to hold true to this position this philosophy of care that's more idealistic and more analytical and cerebral it has to really be something that you execute and so the caring for is when you actually care for and it's based on the idea of Jesus where you love your neighbor as you love yourself But the ethic of care, it's caring about, it's caring for, then it's caregiving. Caregiving requires competency, being learned, having knowledge about what you're actually doing to make sure you are effective in caring. This is where a lot of us fall on our faces because we value the other. We care about someone who's different than ourselves. We may have friends on some maybe episodic level relationship that's diverse racially, culturally. But how many books have you read on what it means to be culturally competent? What it means to have intercultural competence, where you really know, where you really understand. Paul didn't wing the argument when he's talking with Peter. He didn't shoot from the hip when he's confronting Peter. That means that he demonstrated this that caregiving is a honed, a well shaped, a well organized, you know, this, this philosophy, this worldview, this way, basis of how I care, that this is not something I just thought about in the moment in a quick knee jerk reaction. No, Paul's saying, Look, I really, I, I, I give, I'm, I'm giving care because I understand what it means to be in the shoes of the other. I know how they feel. A couple of years ago, at, after our nine o'clock service at our West Campus, I was walking to the pastoral suite to get some refreshments, to get ready for the next service, just to catch my breath. And this gentleman was walking briskly to try to, to get to me. to to talk. He said, Pastor, can I have a word with you? I said, sure. Now let me give you some context. He was a Latino in his mid to late 30s from one of the South American countries. You can tell by his accent. English was not his mother tongue. But he's mastered it to a level of proficiency. He said, Pastor, me and my family, we are undocumented immigrants. And Christ's church, it's it's our home, but we've not gone through the membership course. And and you can understand why we haven't done that. But we want to get involved in the ministry because we we love serving. We love caring for people. We want to get involved. But every time we've tried to get involved in some area of ministry, we've always been prevented because we haven't gone through membership. And Pastor, I wanted to talk with you because I wanted to bring it to your attention because you're an immigrant also, and you'll know how I feel. When he said that, it took me back to when I was eight years old when I stepped off the airplane from Jamaica, West Indies, into, uh, onto the grounds of JFK here in New York. I was eight again instantly. I I didn't know where am I? What's going on? Who am I? How, how do I fit in? I knew how he felt. And I said, I'll make it happen for you. See, caregiving is when you, you sit where they sit. You feel what they feel. See, Paul, when he was practicing advocacy for the Gentiles in his congregation, there was a caring about, there's a caring for, and then there's the caregiving. But that by itself is not the totality of the ethic of care. There's a fourth fourth component that is a critical component. It's called care-receiving. Care receiving is when you question those who you're cared for to assess and evaluate, in fact, if they feel cared for by you. If I said to you, I'm the principal caregiver for my elderly mother, and you pat me on the back and say, Good job, you're a good son. And then to really understand the level of my care, you go to my mother. And you ask her, Does does David really care for you? The tears well up in her eyes when she says, My son, he cooks meals for me. But you know, when he feeds my dinner, when he gives me dinner, he puts the plate on the floor. I feel like a dog. That's how he's caring for me. So the ethic of care, it's the caring about, it's the caring for, it's caregiving. But don't forget that critical component of care receiving. Do I feel cared for by you? I was speaking at a marriage conference a number of years ago. And after the morning sessions, we were having lunch together. We are in this hotel meeting room and then we went into a smaller meeting room for lunch and there were about 20 of us at this long table. And at the table you have conversation. So one of the other speakers just posed this question, David, tell us a little bit about Christ church, the church where you pastor, where you serve. And I said, well, our church, it's a multiracial, multicultural church, about 70 different nationalities. And I said, I provide pastoral care to Asians, to whites, to Latinos, to you know, Africans, to African-Americans, to Caribbean-Americans, to First Nation people. I said, it's, it's a mecca of people in terms of diversity. One other speaker says, I can never pastor white people. They've hurt me too much. And she was African American. And I said, well, let me tell you my experience. I said, the whites that I pastor in our church, at Christ Church, I recognize that they've paid a greater sacrifice to be there than the blacks. Because the average black person never has to answer the question to their family and friends. Why do you go to a church where the senior guy is African-American? I said, a white guy has to answer that question. And I said, that means a lot to me. Because he's caring for me. Because he does that. And I'm going to reciprocate and care for him and value that. So, so this ethic of care is—it's a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a very significant thing, and we must realize it's not just care giving; it's care receiving. Can you imagine those Gentiles, as some of them pushed their chest out when Paul? So winsomely, eloquently, in such an anointed way, cared for them without demoralizing or disrespecting or even dishonoring Peter. Where would the conversation have gone from there? might I suggest that someone may have asked the question maybe of Peter, maybe of Barnabas, some Gentile. may have said, can we share a meal? Can we, can we, can we break bread again? Can we sit around the table again and and talk. And if you're like me, I'm very inquisitive. My wife calls it nosy. (laughs) I'm very nosy. I want to know how this conversation between Peter and Paul worked out. I got to know. So if I can play the role of a forensic theologian for a moment (laughs) and take apart the pieces of Scripture and put them back together, being true to the history of the text and the culture of the day and the meanings of the words. Scholars say that the book of Galatians, the letter to the church of Galatia, was written anywhere from A.D. 50, some say, to A.D. 56, but the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, chapter 1, 1 Peter, was written in A.D. 58. So anywhere from two to eight years later, Peter wrote his letter. I want to see what Peter wrote. Did Paul's conversation influence him in any way? Well, 1 Peter 2.17 says... Show respect for all people. Peter? Peter's telling me to respect all people? Love the brothers and sisters of God's family. God's family? Respect God, honor the king. It's as if Peter built a bridge across difference and through awareness and the right attitudes and the right actions the other was included in Peter's social circle but let me not be too quick to applaud Peter and give him a fist bump a high five down through the years because here in 1 Peter 4.9 let me tell you what Peter wrote later on in that same book, Peter says be hospitable to each other without secretly wishing you hadn't got to be. Remember that word when I began teaching? Xenophilia. That's the word Peter used. Be hospitable. That's the word. Xenophilia. Practice the love of the other. And do you remember that word that I unpacked about hypocrisy and what dr you know kenneth weist said and here's peter saying don't do it secretly wishing you hadn't got to be that's peter saying let don't speak from behind a mask don't chew your meal with a mask in front of your face let the real you the real emotions the good emotions the good feelings let those be the ones that people see across the table as you're being hospitable to the other Peter changed. Peter grew. Peter, in essence, made room for the other at the table. And I want you to be able to know how to do the same thing. And I just happen to have two more place settings. And I want to make room for the other. Scoot over, scoot over. <laughs> and you may say to me, Dr. Arlen, why are those chairs? You didn't coordinate the chairs to make them the same color. That was intentional. I wanted you to see what it means when the other, someone who doesn't look like you, someone who has a different race, different ethnicity, different culture, who's sitting at your table, make room for the other. You know, the interesting thing is that I've been talking about how to make room for the other. What happens when you are the other? What happens when someone has to make room for you? I was speaking in Jakarta, Indonesia. And they made room for me at the table. I'm the other. I didn't look Indonesian. I don't speak the language. But they made room for me. I was the other. I was speaking in the southern part of Spain, Malaga, Spain. They made room for me. I was the other. Habla espanol un poquito. Only a little bit, just to graduate high school. (laughs) But they made room for me at the table. I was the other. And at the, I remember at the table they would laugh because Spain has become so international. People from all over the Spanish-speaking world have migrated to Spain, and so and there's one particular country I won't call the name of the country. They, the, the Spaniards and people from other countries laugh about people from that country when they speak speak Spanish because they say they all speak slang. It, it just they. Butcher the language and so and there was someone from the table that was from that language from that country And then when they said something everybody started laughing They can't even control themselves because when they hear the Spanish it- it's like <laughs> And so even though I didn't understand what they were saying I laughed also because laughing is just contagious I'm just laughing. What are you laughing for I'm laughing because they're laughing. Why are they laughing? I don't know. I just like laughing But you know, when God does a deep work in us, that work becomes so deep that we start to make room in our hearts for the other. And that's what I want you to learn to do more proficiently, more organically, more intentionally that's what Rochester needs so I ask you this question as we come to a close will you learn to model the ethic of care that Paul demonstrated or will you use Peter's model prior to his transformation I don't know about you but I'm going the route of Paul on this matter of intercultural competence, on cultural intelligence, on diversity. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church Podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.